Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. You got something that he's been faithful to you on just give a little woo <laughs> and so we we just lift our hands and we would just say that we receive what you have for us today we believe that there is not just teaching um, it's not just song that we receive your spirit that we receive the deposit that your spirit brings in us that there's a substance of God and it's the spirit that's present in this room revealing and giving himself to us right now. And so, Lord, I pray that, God. It's, it's actually this prayer that we pray every week. The spirit of wisdom and revelation would fill this place that we might see, that we might know who is this God and who is this, what is this life he's called us to and what has he given us, Lord? And so, Lord, I just pray that you would be present in our minds and hearts as we sit here and we listen and we receive and we worship, God, and we testify, Lord. I pray that you would, you would just make a well of testimony, God. I pray that the next time um, there would be so many people. That, that, God, I just see that when, we, that when testimony time comes, that there will be lines of people that we will not be able, we would not be able to even take them all, God. I pray there would be lines of testimony, Lord. Let us see the little now that we may see the heavens open, God. So yes, Lord, prepare our hearts, open our minds. Um, let, us, let us listen, God. Let us do what 1 Corinthians 2 invites us to do, which is to be those who have the mind of the Spirit and discern spiritual things through a spiritual lens, Lord. I pray that you would um, allow us to appraise these things from a heart that's set and anchored in your Spirit, God. And Lord, we just bless you right now. We bless you, God. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give these guys a hand. I don't know if you feel a little bit alive today. I would normally just let that keep rolling, but I feel like I have something I want to share with you today. I'll 
not that I don't usually have something to share, but um, I don't have any overwhelming, insightful teaching, but I do feel like that there's, there's a timeliness. Um, one of the things that, that, I've, that I've often come back to, and I think it's a little bit connected to personal upbringing in um, the kind of church I grew up in, there's just different strengths and weaknesses, different kinds of streams that you grew up in. Um, but one of the things that I, that I gleaned greatly was what Revelation 2 says, which is um, Revelation 1, you know, when it, it says those who have ears to hear, you know, it says it seven times in Revelation 2 and 3, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I think it's really important, I mean, I, I know this is, sort of goes without saying in this group, but I think it's really important that we have to we have to have a continual calibration to listening to what God is saying, and um, we absolutely need to testify to what He said in Scripture and revelation of Christ, who God is in Scripture. But we have to continue to testify to what He's saying, and not just what He's saying, but what He's saying to what. What John the Revelator says there is what he's saying to the churches. And so God, God does, how many of you, God has ever led you specifically by his voice? He, he does that. Um, but one of the things that he's really, really interested in is in leading groups of people. And we say this, there's, this comes up in quite a few sermons here, but there's such a cultural tendency in us to prioritize independence, that when we imagine the voice of God directing us in life, it is so often focused on the life that we believe we're building, the dreams that we believe we have, and the trajectory that we're going on, that we miss that there is an incredible priority in Scripture that God is not just directing individuals, but He's directing communities. And so I just want you to imagine, like I want to keep encouraging you to let your the inner world, the, the, like, like Paul says multiple times in Ephesians, in different ways, he says that our, that our inner man may be strengthened by the Spirit. And I want you to let the strengthening of your inner man by the Spirit be an expanding of the way that you encounter His voice as not just an individuated thing to you, but as a way in which God is leading His people. And it's the easiest way to get a disillusioned and disappointed is to be fixated on how God might be doing your thing tomorrow. It is the easiest way. 100%, I have a, I, I got 14 years of pastoral data on this. The easiest way to enter into a perpetual cycle of disappointment is to believe that the primary thing that God wants to do is to help you figure out your thing through His voice, disconnected from the body. And yet God wants to speak through people and groups of people so that he can minister to the hurting and broken and reveal his glory and his nature and his love to all mankind. Amen? So recalibrate, if you feel that way, recalibrate. I'm going to speak a word that I think is for, not just for our body, but it's, but it's a sort of a sense of like, how many of you talk to people and there's a sense of God doing something right now? This is like everywhere I go, like there's a sense of God doing something, you know? And... It's not like everybody showed up to the party yet, but it feels like a party is starting to happen. And in, in Europe, I've never, I haven't done this, but their parties are, are, are loudest at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and uh, people show up at 11 p.m., 
And uh, I don't have that. I don't have that in me. Like I like I'm going to sleep at 11, but uh, this is we're like at 11 p.m. <laughs> and um, but I think that God is beginning to do something. Amen. So I was at this. Uh, I mentioned this in my testimony. I was at this conference. Um, I I uh, the, the group that we go and or work with. It's been greatly beneficial because I've been able to learn what are some various ways nonprofits are doing work around the country to help work with those who are hurting and have need. And I also get to see this like sort of like testimony of Christ breaking through people, you know, in, in groups of people who have influence and don't necessarily follow the Lord. And so it's, it was really, it's really uh, interesting, and, and I get lots of ministry opportunities when I'm there. And, and so one of my favorite things to do when I'm around a bunch of business people, I kind of avoid this in most settings, but one of my favorite things to do, talking and investing or business or technology, is say, you know, I also I, I spend most of my time as a pastor. And they're always like, what? Like, how does that, how did those two worlds fit? And so it's like, it's this easy trick that like you find your tricks to open conversation. That's my trick. Like if I'm in a, if I'm in a business, like people just like, you don't look like a pastor, first of all. And like, this doesn't seem like a place I would meet a pastor. So some, most places I avoid it because people are kind of a weird thing about pastors, but it, it, it brings up conversation. And so I started having this conversation with this, this woman, Andrew was with us. And we're at this beautiful place in California, and we always feel a little, we always feel a little out of place because, you know, we eat off the value menu at Taco Bell, and you know, <laughs> um, but we're talking, we're at this incredible place, and we're, this, this this lady comes up and she's talking to us, and she finds out I'm a pastor, and she was like, you know. She said, I had this church that I was involved with years ago, and I love this church. And she started to tell me, I was like, tell me what you like about the church. And so she started telling me all these things. And she got down, she, I could tell, like, she was really liked the messages. She really liked the sermons. That's like one out of ten people. Like, the amount of people who say the sermons are what got them, that's it's very, there's been plenty of studies on this, and this is not the thing that gets people. Um, but she was very impacted by this this uh, minister's sermons of a church that she was a part of for a number of years, and and that had really gotten their family involved, and and they just like when he left, they just never stopped going. You know, they never came back, and just to sort of like, you know, I could tell like she still had faith, but it, it kind of had you know in in correlation to not being involved in community, she had also this doesn't happen for everybody, but she had also just let the faith become less of a priority. And so one of the things I do when people like, you kind of like, when you're listening to people and you're ministering to people, you're like looking for little little details, little things they bring up. And so I'm listening to her. You know, she talks about five or six things, but sermons really like, I could tell, like that was a thing for her. It's like, so tell me what, what made the messages good? What do you think makes a good sermon or good message for you? And so then she, that, like that, you, do you get what I'm saying? Like you can ask people questions, and every time you inquire of them, it takes them a little bit. You you learn a little bit more, and so she said a bunch of things, and 
we were talking and, you know, came back. She goes, what, what do you think is, makes a good sermon? And I was like, looked at Andrea, I was like, nobody's ever asked me this question. <laughs> it's a strange thought that I've never, I've never contemplated. And so I thought for a minute and I was like, well, I'll give a few things that have been from messages that impacted me. I was like, first of all, like, I was like, the people that shared those messages that really impacted me, they knew, they knew God. Like, I know this is trite, but they didn't know about God. They knew God. And I, they had a, there was a sincerity and a depth to their relationship that beyond words was transmitted when they talked. And so that was the first thought. And the second thought, I was like, well, like, they had a grasp of what Scripture was and how to, not that anybody's ever going to be 100% accurate, but how to treat it and how to, to, to care for it um, and talk about it. And so then the third thing I said was, well, they typically, like, when somebody preaches something that really moves you, you it, like, opens up your like insight of who God is. Like they, they reveal a new part of God. How many of you have ever been in sitting in a time where like God's love was just revealed to you in a new way? You listened to somebody say something, you went, oh my gosh, he loves me and it connects. And then the last thing that caught her off guard, the last thing that caught me off guard was I was like, you know, I was like, for a long time, I felt like the sermons that were most often preached were what were called life application sermons. And it's like, how do we fit God into being a better parent or a better business person or a better husband or wife? And, and, and all those things are good, and there's a place for those. But I was like, you know, the things that have really moved me is when somebody provoked me, not in how I can fit God into my life, but to imagine how I might give my life away. Like the most powerful things I've heard weren't, weren't how to integrate God somewhere neatly, but it was the things that actually made me question, am I just building a good life and trying to fit God in it? And then I just told her, I was like, you know, I just don't, I don't think that, like we're just sitting here, people are drinking wine, doing all their thing. I was like, I just don't believe that this gospel is a figure out and find a good life gospel. I think it's a give everything away, lose your life gospel. And that's what Jesus says. He says, this is, you lose your life and what? You find it. But if you find your life, you'll what? Lose it. And I... It's what Nicodemus, it's kind of like at the beginning of Lent, the second week of Lent, we talked about Nicodemus. Nicodemus encounters Jesus as a curious, inquisitive, studious person of the law. And he asks him a question. He said, you know, he's like asking him about the stuff that's happening. And Jesus hits him with this, you know, in order for you to even see the kingdom, you have to be born again. And then he goes on to say in, that um, you have to be born order to enter the kingdom, you have to be born both of water and of spirit. And it just reminded me, and there was this whole theme in Lent about seeing. It reminds me that in order for us to see rightly, 
We have to be those who live by the Spirit. We have to be those that aren't seeking to integrate God into a good life, but are those who are seeking to be in every, in an unfolding way, continually more yielded to His plan, His words, His desires for our lives. And so I feel like there's this been theme of seeing God rightly right now. That if we do what 1 Corinthians 2 calls us to do, which is to be those who are spiritual people, I mean, that sounds like such a uh, lofty term, but it is what 1 Corinthians 2, if you want to go read it, it's worth reading, calls us to be those who are full of the Spirit, and as we're full of the Spirit, we're appraising spiritual things by the Spirit, because we've been given the mind of God, and I believe that God wants us to see rightly right now. And I don't believe that that there are times where earthly wisdom is valuable. I know if I'm going to invest in a company, if they are going to run out of money next month, that's probably not a good investment. That's an earthly wisdom that is valuable and usable at times. But I believe that what God is doing right now, we will have to see with spirit eyes to be able to, to, to really participate with what he's doing. And there are times, I think it's always important, there are times when it's more critical. The greater, like, what God wants to do depends on Him just doing something powerfully, the more that, like, our knowing um, has to step aside. I was struck this week, how many of you read the Abide Journal weekly? I was struck this week by a tiny verse, Job 38, too. Everybody wants to quote all the you know, who were you? Where were you? But the, ver- the, the verse that stood out to me, it says, who is this, I think it says, who lacks knowledge, who is this who lacks knowledge, who darkens the counsel of the Lord? How much do we add our knowledge and God's just wanting to come and speak? And I I believe it is a time that we must see what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you what I believe. And I say this like a little eh, fear and trembling, but, but you know, like there is a sense of like what God's doing. I believe that right now, and I don't think this is just a clear path. I think this is a greater thing. It's something that the Lord is saying to the churches. I believe to use the old term that's way too often used. I believe that it is a time of revival and renewal of his body. Like, what does that mean? Like, the, like I could tell you stories of scripture of renewal in Israel and then tell you stories throughout church history. But, but what that means to me is that God is bringing that which was dead to life. And how many of you have felt that? Like, a spirit of collective, not just personal renewal. I believe that God is, is doing that right now. But the other thing I believe that God is doing is that I believe that we're entering a time of harvest, entering a season of harvest. And I think that seasons are over-preached on, but I'm, but I'm going to give context for this um, that I really believe. Uh, we, were, we were also in California, so we, we did visit a, a place where they grow grapes that they call a vineyard, and it does produce that stuff they call wine. And, um, but we were there, and there's a family I've known for a long time, and they are fourth-generation farmers in California. They first farmed olives, yes, 
olives, and they've been doing this for a hundred years. And so we wanted to go see their new their new place. They bought this new land, and you know, you show up. This is not like a. It's a, you know it's a it's a barn and some fields, you know, and you imagine whatever. But it, it's a barn and some fields with you know a little place to sit, and and there is like. There's tractor going, and there's people working, and the, the, it's a father and son team, and the father comes out in his Carhartt stuff, and he's got dirt on his hands, and, you know, they're planting all these new vines, and they had bought this property in, in 2020, which is very hard to buy property that grows in, in California, and this property had been neglected for, for they probably maybe no, it was 2019 or 2018 because it was ahead of 2020. But they they bought it a few years ago, and it had been neglected for a long time. So they were letting the land lay fallow. I mean, I don't have to re-educate everybody on this, but I'm sure most of you know that like soil needs nitrogen, you know, certain levels of nitrogen for you know plant for any kind of crop to flourish. And it's why the scripture has the land resting in periodic times because it allows the soil to get healthy again. And so they were letting the soil lie fallow for a few years, letting it replenish its its nourishment. And while we were there, they were planting new um, new roots and grafted in vines. And so this is a whole nother tangent, but the way that that works is there are specific roots. And for most of these people, they actually graft in different kinds of vines to the roots because the roots... Um, certain roots are stronger. Whole nother sermon, but we won't go down that. And they were just starting to plant because the land was getting ready. And, and so they were t- we were asking them questions about that. And they're like, yeah, we're probably four years away from fruit. And then we're probably putting that, you know, in the whole process. That's another, you know, three years. And so they're like, a, it's a 10-year journey from buying land to getting harvest. They're, they're looking at like actually selling a product in 2030. Like that's like, you know, like normal, like, like say normal, modern businesses don't work that way. It's like profit tomorrow, but this is buy something in 10 years, have a product that you can sell. But, but I want you to see that there's both in the land and in the environment, there is very clear seasons and timings to things growing. And this is, I, I've talked about this before, but when we read these things in scripture, they miss us because we don't live in an environment or a society that deals with seasons. Like my way of dealing with the season is I got this free uh, vest when I was there and it was a little cool outside, so I threw on a vest. Like that's the extent of me dealing with a season. It's different when you're a farmer whose livelihood is dependent upon a freeze not happening or on a a hail not coming. Like the way that the world historically up until now understood life through seasons is so much richer than than the way we understand it. Because everything that we sort of utilize, it's not seasonal. You don't, Taco Bell doesn't have seasonal items. The bean burrito is always there. Praise God. And... (laughs) This makes sense. And so, th- so seasons are a greater reality in God's created order than what 
we sort of, we deal with it in some ways, like Bree's about to, you know, have kids in a couple weeks, and there's nine months in the womb, and then kids grow up, and there's seasons of their life. So we have counter seasons in some ways, but not with the way that we interact with the fruit. And I just think we underestimate it. And I believe that, in, that spiritually it is also so, and we can demonstrate this scripturally, that there are seasons. Jesus didn't come the second after original sin happened. He came in a story of a tapestry of scriptures and prophecies and commandments that would, as he would say, witnessed him. He came at a culmination of age at a time where people would see and know who he was. Does that make sense? And he waited until he was 30. And so there are seasons. I just want to make that point. In, in Matthew 10, the disciples found themselves in a moment or season. Jesus sends them out to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, declare the kingdom. They had walked with Jesus. Now they were going to do ministry. And he then gives them, and I want to make note of this, he gives them mandate to look for places of peace that will receive them and to go to the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. Let me ask you a question. Does God love the Gentiles? In Acts 10, Peter realizes that God loves the Gentiles and that the gospel is for them. Does God want the Gentiles to be saved? So this was a season where he wasn't specifically ministering to the Gentiles. He, he would on occasion... He was ministering to the house of Israel, not because God didn't love the Gentiles, but because it was the season. That field wasn't yet, that crop wasn't, it wasn't time. Does this make sense? And so they were supposed to go to the house of Israel. They were supposed to go to the place of peace, which is not just the general group of people. That's the specific people that as they would go to a different city, there would be an open door and they would connect with them. And as I was reading Matthew 10 and Matthew 9 this week, I, I heard the Lord speak to me, and He said, there is a harvest right now, and the harvesters are there for those who have been cut off from the family of God, and they're no longer apart, and He's wanting to bring them back in. I believe that God is also going to be drawing in those who have not known His name. But I believe that right now there is a specific timing of God grafting in those who have become disconnected from either family of God, family of faith, or the faith in general. God's wanting to restore those broken, broken bridges. And it's just, I just, it's what I sense. It's not what, I'm, let me make this clear. That's not what this scripture is teaching. There's a difference between, there's a difference between the contextual application and at times the current, there, where we can currently apply things. And what the Lord was saying to me in this moment was, this is a moment and time where I'm calling back those who've been disconnected. I'm calling back those who've either walked away from faith or family of faith, and, and God wants to bring them back. And everybody with me. So I write that down in my journal. Let me just say this. I've said this before. Though for me, maybe you're not a writer, but what I have found is that I steward prayer relationship with God and hearing His voice 
and studying scripture better if I'm journaling. The seasons where I'm not journaling, I, and, and you don't have to write 72 pages, just making note of little things that God puts in your heart will allow you to, to in greater way, be sort of dialed in and carry what he's saying. And so I write that down. I'm going to, to a meeting that day at a new place that I, that I hadn't been at for a while. And there's a coffee shop at this place. I, I, you know, and before my, the person I was meeting with is going to come a couple hours later, but you know, guy, you know, guys, I ride on my bike and, um, you know, Randall's been here the last couple of weeks. He called me a hippie this morning for riding on my bike. I, I, I don't know how to feel about that, but, um, thank you, Randall. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I ride my bike and so I get to places and I kind of like, you know, square up and get rid, you know get ready. And uh, you can't just like spontaneously get places on a bike. Like you got to get there and, you know, and so, and stick. So I'm having this meeting. And as the coffee shop opens, a girl walks in right at, meanwhile, I just got done writing this down. A girl walks in that I know, and I say, hey, how are you doing? She's never part of Clear Path, but in a way, God had used Andrew and I to pastor her in little ways a number of years ago. And I said, what's going on? And, you know, asked some some questions. And I find out that she has been, most church hurt is, is not very significant, although everybody talks about it. But there is some that's very real. And that she had a real uh, abuse situation or a church hurt situation that was, that was not, that was not good. And I'm like, it's literally like I write this down and I'm looking, and then the Lord's like, here. Here's what I'm saying. And so we get the opportunity to talk and to connect later. But I just want to tell you that I believe that if you will see this, you will recognize that there are people who are hurting, disconnected, and God wants to shepherd them to be back into not only the faith that they carried, but the, into the fold of the Lord. Amen? And so Jesus is giving them two clarifying and specific instructions when they are to go. Firstly, they are to go exclusively to Israel, and secondly, they are to the houses willing to receive them. And I believe this is key. Jesus wants us to go, shockingly, to those who are willing. You will see those who are open to receive what you have to give. I'm going to tell you this right now, and it's very visible to me when I look at a field that is not yet ready to produce a crop. If the harvest is not ripe, it's not, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get grapes out of, a, out of a vine that was planted yesterday. Now, God's timing is different than our timing, so He can make a seed grow up in a moment. But I'm telling you, if you will have eyes to see the, the opportunities you have with people, you will see that there are people who are just crying out to be loved or they're, they're curious or they're open or there's something in them that's going, please. There's a, you know, it may not be that obvious, but we have to have eyes to see. 
Sometimes we can get a sense of what God is doing generally and miss what he's doing specifically. Do you see what I'm saying? It's that Jesus is sending them to cities to preach to Israel, to do miracles, and he's expecting for there to be an incredible harvest for this time, but he still tells to them to look for specific people to go linger with. We can, we can apply generally and be beating people over the head with our love and care, and they don't want your love and care. Farming has a process of seeds planted, tending to vines, harvesting fruit, and God knows the seasons. And so I think a lot of times when we try to force things, not always, but when we try to force things, it's that... It's that we don't trust that God is a good and faithful shepherd to care for their lives. So we try to take it into our own hands. And that is sometimes counterproductive. The Holy Spirit is the one who has to do the work. Amen? And so God is, I believe, I want to say this to you. God is looking for this people, the people in this room, to open their eyes and to look around at a ripe harvest and see those that God is calling you to linger with, to be with. Jesus once compared the kingdom to a treasure that a man found that was so wonderful that he hid it in the field. Then he sold everything he had. This is such a weird story. He sold everything he had and he goes back and buys the field that he hid the treasure in because he was so full of joy. It's like, what? why would you do that? He was so overjoyed by the treasure of the kingdom. And when we, when I'm like sitting with people and I was like, I don't know, I can't think of how many times in this conference, I'm sitting and I'm having these blips moments where people are opening. And as they open, it's like treasure to me. Like the kingdom of God is at work in their life. They may not even know it, but I could see for a moment and it's treasure. And you know what happens when you value God's treasure is you see more treasure. When we get to see the door of people's lives open up to the love within us, to the working of God. Every time it's like finding a treasure that you already knew was there. Amen? So I want to read to you the very last verses of Matthew 9. So the very last verses of Matthew 9 Jesus is doing the same things he's about to send the disciples doing. And these are, yes, these are preemptive. They're, they're, they're tied. They're correlated. And so Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There is so much in this scripture. We could talk about it for seven years. It is, who is the Lord of the harvest? Let's just, let's just remind ourselves that. And 
But I want us to I want you to see from what Jesus glean from what Jesus is seeing. The first thing that we see that Jesus is seeing is that he looks upon the multitudes as like sheep without a shepherd and that they are scattered and weary. They are scattered and weary like sheep without a shepherd. And so what's happening here as Jesus is ministering is he is seeing specific people and meeting specific needs. He's healing sicknesses. He's casting out demons. He's preaching the kingdom. He's doing very specific things for specific people. But he has a general seeing as he looks upon the multitudes. And as he looks upon the people, not just individuals, he sees that in this moment, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are scattered and weary. So he has a specificity of seeing and he has a, and he has a collect and he has a seeing of where the people are. Are you with me? And right now I believe there are many people and a lot of this is the church's own fault, not all of it is, but there are many people that either have been scattered and weary with their faith or with the family of faith. There are people who are scattered and weary and they're acting like sheep without a shepherd. And he goes on to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors of few, pray the Lord, is of the harvest is to send labors in the harvest. And so Jesus, he's, he's, he's looking at these weary, scattered, tired, shepherdless sheep and he's like, the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, this looks like a broken mess of people. And how do you harvest sheep anyways? But, you know, Jesus mixes metaphors. This is what he does. So, um, but I want you to see that Jesus isn't just being optimistic. I, I, there's a conf, the, I don't have time to go into this, but there is at times a conflation of faith and optimism that destroys faith. Faith is not always looking at a situation and believing it's going to be good. Faith is trusting in God when you see reality. I mean, like, martyrs did not get the luxury of saying, well, I'm just not going to be martyred. They had to trust God in the midst of the reality. And so I just want to say this, that we cannot conflate optimism and faith. That destroys hope every time. That destroys hope every time. If you think that everything in life is just going to be up and to the right, look around. Like, how many people have lost in this room? How many people have, have dealt with pain and suffering? You don't have to get in a room of a thousand to feel that. You can walk into any room and see loss and hurt and suffering. And it is not optimism that delivers because he says, there aren't that many laborers. <laughs> it's like, I'm looking at 11 of you guys or 12, I guess. With you, this, there's 12 of you. You guys don't really have it together. And, and so... But I, I want to I connect 36 and 37. This is really key to me. What prompts Jesus in exclaiming to, that the harvest is ready, what prompts him to say that there is a ripe harvest? 
You know, like if you go to a place in the world where they're growing grapes, it becomes pretty obvious when harvest time is. We have corn sometimes around here, um, more up north than the Midwest, but but the, it's obvious when, when harvest is happening for many things that produce fruit or vegetables. But what Jesus correlates, what prompts him to say this, is that there are people who are weary, scattered, and are like, Behaving like sheep with no shepherd. The correlation for a ripe harvest is their brokenness without anyone to care and lead them. Jesus sees their brokenness as evidence of plentiful and ripe harvest. This is important. People who are broken truly are ready to receive the care and the love of Jesus. Period. It is important that we see the indicators of what harvest is because there is a speci- there's a general seeing and there's a specific seeing. In general, I believe it is a time where people are coming to their brokenness and needing the love and the care of God. But that does not mean that every specific person is exactly in that same place. Make sense? It's a season thing. This is the cool thing about this whole metaphor of that's often in Scripture of harvest and seed, is that some fruits come earlier and some later, but generally vines are growing on the same clock. I don't think that people even think about this, but when you look throughout history of the church, there are seasons of incredible ingathering. Because I think that vines are growing on a similar clock. Does this make sense? Like, there are times in history, in culture, where there's such such a, a grinding of people's souls to a place of brokenness, that an openness to being, to being led, to being... And so when you see people like all the things that, that, that just make us, you know, make like every, you know, Christian conservative mad, like whether it's issues with gender or, or, or sexuality, when you see people constantly trying to figure themselves out, it's because society and culture and the way of our time has ground them to such a place of hurt that they're looking to be led. They're looking to be cared for. And it is a time where people want to be cared for. Like, we can't look at the brokenness and go, oh man, you know what? If we were like it was a hundred years ago, by golly, God would move in this place. No, the brokenness is the evidence of the harvest. Gosh, I hate that talk. We're infinitely sorting out our own problems. We're infinitely trying to to solve ourselves. And you're not going to do it. 
Like, it's, it kind of just happens. I don't know. Like, somebody bumps into my life, and I go, oh my gosh, I've been believing a lie. I need to deal with that. And there are these moments where we have the flood of lies that we bought into and the truth that comes in and replace those. But you cannot introspectively arrive to all the conclusions. They happen when the fruit is ready in your life. And so there may be some of you This is the specific in general. There may be some of you that are in a season of reflection, and that's what God's working. But I think in general, the message now is pause on that for a minute and look out at the ripe harvest. Look and see there's a ripe harvest and that God needs laborers. Um, Now is the season. There are periods of ingathering, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I really believe we're, we're, we are coming into a time of harvest if we will just look and see. And what Jesus tells to, Nick, to um, Nathaniel in John 1 about his seeing, if he, when he sees the heavens will be open, and what he tells Nicodemus in John 3 is that if you're born of the Spirit, you will see the kingdom. Like, we need to be, go return to being spirit people who see by the Spirit and look and see what God is doing. I promise you, if I'm wrong about this season of being like a great harvest, that if, you will, if we will just start looking, we will find where there is a ripe harvest. I believe it is so, but God is wanting us to see. That's what he was saying to the disciples. And Jesus did not come for the well, but for the sick. He saw the scattered and weary as a ripe harvest. I want to tell you how the ESV renders this translation, which I think is even closer to accurate. It says, instead of wearied and scattered, this is a strange difference. And I, I, don't, I won't get into all of why these are translated differently. But it, you can use both of them. It says they're harassed and helpless. He looks upon sheep like that have no shepherd, and they're harassed and helpless. Weary, scattered, harassed, helpless, and behaving like sheep without a shepherd are the evidences of a ripe harvest. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5 to open his, you know, the greatest hits of Jesus, his Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of God. If you want to see who the kingdom, where the treasure is, go find the poor in spirit, for they will receive it. And I believe there are many who are poor in spirit right now. Brokenness looks different every single time, though. This is the part where you can miss the specific for the general. Like, I've met people who have everything who are broken. And I've met people who have nothing who don't give junk about hearing anything, you know? And so it's not, you can, you can go, oh, well, this person is like, this is a ripe harvest. Like, no, you still have to walk into every situation and sense and, and have enough hospitality and care to have a sense of who you're talking to. It looks different. We have to see with spiritual eyes. And so what, you know what, anytime you preach a message like this, 100% of the time, somebody will be like, why don't we just tell everyone? Jesus loves everyone, right? Like, why do we have to look for specific people? And I, I thought about this, and like, 
you know, the parable of four soils is so fascinating to me because you've got a farmer sowing seed on a path. It's like, what kind of farmer is like, you know, a seed is a valuable asset. We're just going to walk over here on the road and throw some of it and see what happens. That's a strange thing. I don't know, you know, why that is. But what I, I do know is there's an aspect of the gospel that the seed is going everywhere. But the seed is not the harvest, guys. There are people that you can plant seeds with and there's people that you can linger with. And if you're looking for the person with the open door who says, I'm ready to receive, that's the person God's saying, sit with this person. Be with them. See what God is doing in their life. Like, I don't like, I'm like watching. There were probably eight, nine moments in this conference where God was opening door. But I'm not like bludgeoning everyone to death who's just sitting here wanting to talk to me about the stock market. Like, I have a brain and I have, like, the Holy Spirit inside of me to sense to where there actually is an open door. Amen? I mean, like, you, people can get frustrated, get sideways about this, but Jesus didn't go to everyone. He loved everyone. And by one of the incredible things about, about the theology of Jesus is that he is both son of God and son of man. And that as being a son of man, he was limited by space and time. And he could not go to the entire world and interact with every single person. I'm going to tell you something. You can't go to every single person. You can't even minister effectively to every person you know. Not even to every person you want to minister to. And so you have to have this, God, I'm, you're right now is a ripe harvest. I need to go, but I need to be sensitive. Am I throwing seed on a, on a path right now? Or is there like actually some hard, like something coming out of the ground that I need to come and sit with and care for like shepherd? You know, are you with me? I'm going to Jesus mix the metaphors there. All right. So there's people we have to hear. So here's the message. I'll message in one sentence. I'm going to start doing this, I think, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I won't every week. But message in one sentence. Like, you know that like TLDR, too long, didn't read? You know, like, here's the TLDR. I believe that God wants to compel us to go. Everybody here, you're part of the going. Say, Lord, send me. I also believe that he wants to compel us to see. Some of the greatest harm that the church has unintentionally brought is by going without seeing. When you go and you don't see, you're just bringing yourself. When you see, when you look, not only will you see them, but you'll see God at work. Every time I show up with a person, I have this... I, I just took me three freaking months to get to a conclusion on my chapter one. The whole book is finished, and I've been working on chapter one for three months, revising it. I finally realized what it was. It's that my, and this is what I actually believe, I've always believed this, or at least for a number of years, is that my conviction is that every time I show up to a person who is being drawn by the Spirit, that Jesus is already shepherding them before I get there. And I'm just looking for what he's doing. I'm looking for the insights. And so Jesus says, go, but he also says, see. 
And we need to see the multitudes and the specific. We need to see that it is a time of harvest, not just for one person, but for people. And we need to pray for that. But we also need to see with specific, caring, loving eyes. Amen? And we need to see them as His treasure. Jesus is always seeing the tension between a harvest that's ripe and a harassed, helpless people. And seeing rightly is the tension between seeing man's brokenness and God's heart. So, I want to finish here. What is the... I, I remember hearing this years ago. This, I, I have this question written down and it just occurred to me where this, where this thought entered my mind. Years ago, when I was like 20, I went and met this man in, and, and I have no contemplation of, you know, I haven't been around him for decades, so I can't speak to anything. But I went and met this man in, in Guatemala. His name was Cash Luna. And Cash had uh, started his church of like 10 people. And it's, you know, they, they have like one of the largest churches in Central or South America, probably like, I don't know, 60,000 attenders. They have 15,000 seat auditorium. And he goes and preaches. I, I went to one of his crusades. I watched somebody in Matamoros, Mexico, Andrea watched with, who came in on a stretcher. They had this sort of a disease that the body couldn't rid itself of toxins. It's like a 14-year-old girl. She came, and they had to lift her head to get water into her mouth. She couldn't lift her head to drink. They brought her into the stretcher, and I watched her walk up onto the stage that night. Like when they, were, when they were writing down her testimony, this is grotesque, but she began to pee for the first time in 10 years. And I remember something, just when I, wrote, when I looked at this question, I remember Cash saying this. He said, the Scripture doesn't tell us to pray for the harvest. The scripture tells us to pray for laborers. The call here is not to pray for the harvest, it's to pray for the laborers. The obstacle here, I sat, I sat listening to a Christian ministry present, and they're sitting there with business people trying to work out problems in their nonprofit. And so I was I was asking them a question. They they're building this platform that's like a care a place of care where like needs in the community can be met by churches. I'm way simplifying it, but it's like Uber for care. But it's way, way, way more effective and, and intimate than that. But I asked them the question, like, I'm like trying to figure out like where, are the, where is the obstacle? For Uber, they needed more drivers and then they needed riders to scale as drivers came. I was like, is it, is it on the contributor side or is it on the need side? Where's the Where's the bottleneck? He's like, oh, it's on the contribute. He said, we could push the gas on the need side at any point. The issue is on the contribution side. So we'll get a church involved. And he said, these needs are, the needs are so real. Like, they'll go, okay, we can only deal with one a month. And he's like, that's not even a knock. He said, it's just like people are getting intimately involved with real things. What Jesus is saying here is the, the bottleneck is not the harvest. It's the laborers. It's the laborers. The prayer that we need of faith is that God will move us to stop being so stagnant. 
I mean, come on, like, look what people are turning to. Is that any kind of evidence that people are hurting? Like, I'm, I'm looking at people. I'm sitting there. I'm like sitting with people in lunch in all this lavishness, this luxury, and they have everything. And I'm seeing like blips of brokenness just break through. And it's like, it's like, the, it's like treasure like coming over me like a wave. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this person is hurting. And as if we will see with the eyes of the Spirit and we will pray that, Lord, please wake us up that we might go. Like, it's there. I promise you, it's there at the top. It's there at the bottom. There was a time in our country when, when um, the economic and social and discourse of our country was working for such a large percentage of people that people just kind of whatever, you know, we're doing good. That is not the time we're coming into. People are hurting. And there is a ripe harvest. And the faith gap is not for their repentance, it's for my moving. We need to stop looking at the mountain of brokenness as the problem, but the opportunity. I don't know. I, I, I know I keep juicing this point, but I, I hear people say, well, you know, all the wickedness, man, we just need revival. I'm like, we don't do anything. We need revival because we need to go. So here's, here's the way it happens, always, 100% of the time, church history. I, I've read on this, not recent, but I've read enough on this. When the body of Christ starts getting awakened, we call that renewal, revival, awakening, whatever. It can be small, it can be simple, it can be big, it can be whatever. Like, there are two things that happen. It either, when, when the Spirit was poured out in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, and 1905 in Azusa Street, the, the, the following happening was in a in 100 years in the global south, there are a billion Christians on the planet because of that. Because people left the prayer meetings and became missionaries and went and carried the gospel. So two things happens. Either the outpouring sort of wanes because we become just these absorbers of God, or it increases because we become a river through which he gushes through, a fire through which he's manifested through. That is our option. You can read the Bible more and pray more and all of that's fine. Know God more, but give it to people. Look for people. Do it awkwardly. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 82 years. Like, if you haven't been talking to him about it, you're a beginner in that area. Just come and say, Lord, use me. Let me show me your eyes. It's not always coming out and like preaching. Sometimes it's just asking a question, double click, double click, double click, and you learn something about them. 
Can you see where God's caring? So let's stand. We're going to pray that the Lord would, that the Lord, the harvest is already ripe. The labors are what we're praying for. Let me me tell you something. Um, It's so easy. I've done this for so many years. People like, you know, where are you pastor? I'm like, I pastor in the small church in Mesquite. And like, there's like half of me that's pride about that. And like half of me that's ashamed about that. And whatever, you know, I don't feel that right now. And I'm like, it is so easy to not recognize that every place where massive outpourings of love came, it started with small groups of people who just said, yes, Lord, use me. Like that's, I mean, I know this is simple, but it is how it is. It is how it is. When, when groups of people say, just Lord, use me in my ignorance, in my whatever, use me. And that's what I'm praying. And this is what the prophets prayed. They repented on behalf. They repented of their own sin on behalf of the country. They weren't like, oh God, raise up those laborers that are over there in that other church that's not laboring under your, on your vineyards. No, like, it's right here. Like, I'm allowing all of uh, my, you could say it like this, I'm allowing my fear and my insecurity and my lack of faith or my doubt or whatever I'm going through or my fixation on my own problems to not allow me to see those around me. That's repentance. Would you, God, just use me, raise up our community? We, like, we'll just tentatively, you know, pray for our people. Like, you know, trying to pray for, you know, First Baptist to get their act together. Like, that's not our goal. I'm like, God, please forgive me and lead me. And so that's the kind of prayer I want to pray is that, is that we would turn to his face and we would be those who would look at the sheep without a shepherd and we see the weary, the scattered, the harassed and helpless as a ripe harvest that needs the loving care of a good shepherd. And so, Lord, just pray with me however you feel. I just pray that you would forgive us for, for not loving others. God, you would forgive us for obsessing endlessly over everything in our lives and not seeing others, God. I pray that you would forgive us for, for, for having narcissism at the center sometimes of our faith. God, I pray that you would break off the addiction of that in this room and that you would raise us up to be laborers to see that you would in the seeing there would be a faith of believing that it is a ripe harvest, God. And so my faith, Lord, is that you would put the fire of laborers in this room to carry the goodness of God. Clumsily, awkwardly, spirit-led, lovingly, God, whatever it looks like, I pray that you would raise us up, Lord. And so, Lord, we ask you, come, Holy Spirit, right now. Come on us right now and use us. We, we don't want to darken your counsel with our meaningless ignorance and knowledge. We want the Spirit of God to come and use us in powerful love, God. And so I pray for it right now. Holy Spirit, come right now. 
I pray that you would wake people up. The people who've said, but I don't have anybody in my life. I pray that you would show them the harvest right now. God, I pray that you would wake us up to the people who have like a blinking light of openness outside of their home, begging us to come in. I pray we would see, Lord. I pray that we would see every hurt as an opportunity to inquire deeply. Every desire as an opportunity to inquire more deeply. God, every suffering is an opportunity to inquire more deeply. Right now, Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, we do not defer this prayer to our neighbor. We pray it for ourselves. Wake us up, God. Every person in this place, every person in this place is qualified by the Spirit to carry His goodness. Every person in this place, you will do it wrong, (laughs) but then you'll do it with Him. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that, Lord. I pray for courage and tenderness and love. And so, I don't know, we just, I just feel that we are to intercede for a moment, that he wants to fill the faith pump for laborers going, God. Do it now, God. Just pray the prophetic prayer. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Exactly as I am, ignorant as I am, here am I. Send me, broken as I am. Maybe I'm one that's scattered and weary and harassed and helpless. I say, Lord, use me even still. Here am I, send me, Lord. I see complexity leaving in the name of Jesus. Complexity of faith leaving in the name of Jesus. Every puzzle that people have been trying to sort out Leaving in the name of Jesus. God is not calling you to figure out your life. He's calling you to go. God, let the spirit of figuring out this life that is the spirit of this age stop right now in Jesus' name. We're participating with the same thing that everybody who's trying to figure out where they fit on sexuality or gender or whatever that is that we think is offensive, we participate with that same spirit when we obsess over figuring out our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we would stop figuring and start submitting and start going and carrying the love right now. God, I I actually feel like I see like... It's like people have diagrams. I, like, it's like the beautiful mind. He's got all these things diagrammed. And the Lord is wiping the slate clean of all these figurings, of all these dreamings and all these things. And he's wiping the slate clean. And he's saying, just let me use you. So here's what I, I want to pray. Just with your words, pray this specific. Um, we'll, you know what? Just pray after me and we'll do this. Holy Spirit, Raise up laborers. Holy Spirit, stir the laborers. Holy Spirit, help us to see. Help us to go. Help us to know when to linger. And even help us to know when to let go. You are the shepherd. So with that, I want to invite you to come to the table And particularly, as you're going back, I want you to think that that Paul says that when we take this, we remember and proclaim his death until he comes.
We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening. When I'm here in your